Today's episode of Dancetopia, the podcast, is brought to you by that noise you hear in the background, which is my fan. Apologies, but especially June, and it's hot in here. Let's get started. At the intersection of movement, knowledge, and passion lies a place I like to call Dancetopia. Dancetopia is home to all students, observers, and lovers of dance. Whether you're a seasoned professional or a novice, there is a place for you in this world. Welcome. So, third episode of the podcast is coming a little late. Apologies for that, but busy schedules, my need for sleep, and celebrations of Memorial Day holidays uh, pushed me a little behind. But my aim is to get this podcast out bi-monthly, so I will try to do better. But let's get into it. So, what I'm reading. Still finishing up Misty Copeland's Ballerina Body. Um, Not doing very much reading of dance, but I have been reading a lot of articles about dance innovation, mainly as research for an upcoming podcast. So I won't spoil that podcast yet. I'll just give you a small hint. I don't think this is enough of a hint to be helpful, but Martha Graham. Watching, I finally watched the first episode, the season premiere of World of Dance yesterday, and it was everything. It's... What's interesting about my relationship with like dance competition shows is that I enjoy them. I genuinely do. Like I'm going to watch So You Think You Can Dance when it becomes available on demand tomorrow because I got home from work a little bit too late to watch it um, live. But I think a lot of times because I spend so much time dancing, whether it's performances or in class or teaching, I... I don't want to say that I'm fatigued by the dance world, but I just need a break and I need to focus on other things. So that's where I come home and I do work and I write or even recording this podcast is a break because it's not moving because I I can feel myself when I'm watching these competition shows. I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely catch myself kind of picking apart the movement, looking at the choreography, looking at the costumes, reacting, and that's all requires energy from me and maybe I'm just putting a little bit too much emotional labor into my consumption of dances that I'm not in but I have to be like ready so that I can watch and pay attention but yeah I did watch World of Dance and that's one of the one of two things I'm going to talk about I'm, this is a, this isn't going to be a super involved episode of this podcast there's really only two things I want to want to talk about and one of them is World of Dance so I will finish my catch-up section and then go back to the two things I want to talk about. So watching World of Dance, more on that in a minute. Um, What I'm doing, just taking class, I'm trying to, so I thought that I'd be able, once I kind of stopped actively preparing for performances, I thought I'd be able to just load up my schedule with classes and take all these classes and be totally fine. But In case I've never mentioned it on this podcast, which I don't think I have, I do work full time and I also freelance write and I also teach and I'm also active in my community. I I just, 
I'm a serial overcommitter. It's very unhealthy. Don't be like me, kids. Um, but what I've been finding recently is that in trying to take all these dance classes, of course, my listeners know dance is very physically exhausting and it takes a lot. And so sometimes I'll just be tired and I won't realize how tired I am until I'm really, really drained at work. And I'll be honest, sometimes having a little bit of trouble staying awake. And so what I'm now trying to do is find some balance. So I am experimenting with kind of relegating my dance classes to the end of the week so that I'm not soldiering through the whole week trying to dance and then trying to work. Um, And with that comes a lot of feelings. Like I feel like I'm not living up to my self-given title as a professional dancer because I don't take two classes a day like Misty Copeland or other professionals and I don't train 30 hours a week because I just don't have the time. If, and part of that is because if I, if I could find a way to, to dance full time and support myself without having to constantly be on the phone asking my parents for money, I would do that. But I made a promise to myself that I would find a way to dance, but I would do it in such a way that I didn't have to constantly be on my, the phone asking my parents for money because they've done enough for me. And my student loans, unfortunately, aren't going to pay themselves. Um, so I work full time and I dance. And so that requires some kind of flexibility. And because dance is not my primary source of income, when I do need to kind of push something or be a little bit more flexible with something, often it's the dance and that comes with a lot of guilt, but I'm hoping that with this new schedule, I'll find a way to balance training as hard or nearly as hard as I would like to, especially in my off season and also giving 110% at work because I, I, I don't, I can't do things if I'm not going to give 110%. So that's what I'm doing now. Just kind of trying to strike a balance between dance and the real world that I exist in. So if you have any tips in that regard, I would appreciate them. I love tips. Tips are great. Um, So that's what I'm doing. And then what I'm planning. So in two weeks, I will actually be going to Barcelona or to put on my best Castillo accent, Barcelona. And I am hoping to take a tap class while I'm there because Barcelona has one of the biggest or the biggest tap community in Europe. And so when one of the tap teachers I take class with hold me to take class there, I immediately looked it up. So I am hoping to take a tap class at Escola Luthier de Danza in Barcelona. I like my accent. Also practicing my Spanish. So esperando a tomar una clase de claque. I think that's how you say tap in Spanish. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I'm planning and I'm so excited. I'm gonna call them tomorrow. I'm gonna remember this time. It's on record, it's on tape, so I'm gonna remember this time. I'm gonna call them tomorrow and make sure I can take a class, but that's, I'm excited about that. Cause I've never had a reason to pack dance shoes when I go on vacation. I just don't dance. And it'll also help me feel less bad about the fact that I'm gonna be traveling for a couple of weeks and not really able to dance. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm planning and I'm very excited. I hope the class isn't too hard because coming to Chicago was a bit of a culture shock for me in terms of tap because it's, I think it's much more of a thing in Chicago. And so 
it, I got a wake up call the first time I took a tap class in Chicago. So I'm interested to see what taking a tap class in Barcelona, I will continue to say it like that for the rest of the times I say it on this podcast is like, um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, so next thing is world of dance. So the season premiere of world of dance aired on Tuesday, May 29th. So the next episode is tomorrow. And I started watching the first season of world of dance last time, like about halfway through. Um, and what struck me about it was that it had so many different types of dancers. It wasn't just the professionals who came from the studios and who competed. It was people who'd gone viral like Les Twins and people who were, I don't wanna say novelty because I feel like that term is othering, but people who just, you may not see it on a, on a traditional dance competition show. Like acts that you maybe normally wouldn't see like Stroll Groove, which was stepping, which touched my heart so deeply because I am actually a member of a Black Greek letter sorority. So to see stepping and to see that they had gone so far made me really happy. It reminded me of kind of some of the best parts of like America's Best Dance Crew, which is no longer on, which is interesting because a lot of contenders from America's Best Dance Crew, including Super Crew, Jabberwockies, and Ian Eastwood all competed on this show. Um, so coming into this season, I, I knew kind of what to expect and I and I was interested to see what it was like to watch it from the beginning. And the biggest thing for me in watching World of Dance is that I love how accessible the judges are. Neo, Derek Hoff, and of course, J-Lo. They're so accessible and you can see them responding to the work that's being performed on the stage. They're not just sitting there poised. Like my favorite part of last week's episode was just watching Neo kind of beef it up to one of the routines when he was just like, ooh, they're getting it. And I was like, yeah, they are. And I love that they give kids a chance to. I, I love that they give kids a chance to compete on the same stage as adults and to see how kids measure up to adults because sometimes kids dance circles around adults. I know there are a lot of kids in the world that can dance circles around me. Um, some highlights for me were the Desi Hoppers and that's, the, that's another thing. That's another kind of dance that may not get the same exposure on other shows, but I got to see like true authentic Bollywood and infused with hip hop. And it's like, that's what I, I, that's what I think is the best way to describe world of dance. It's like going to a really, really amazing fusion restaurant because fusion cuisine does not always work, but when it does, it does. And that's what I think world of dance is like. It's like the amazing fusion restaurants of dance shows. You have So You Think You Can Dance, which is like kind of the Ritz-Carlton and it's the OG and it's beautiful and it's important and you know you'll always get something good every time you go there. And then you have World of Dance, which is like this shocking kind of sleeper hit that is like, ooh, I didn't know what I was missing until I had that. Um, so that's been one of my favorite things about World of Dance. I'm excited to see some more of these new dancers because I think they have one more episode of qualifiers yeah they do part two is the second half of the qualifiers 
Um, one thing I did want to say, though, that was really, really petty. Um, Hilti and Bosch, the locking duo. Now, whether or not they should have been passed through is up for debate. But whoever is in charge of the music selection for World of Dance, you are wrong as hell for picking Unforgettable for the song they played when they got eliminated and syncing it up right to the part where they get eliminated where French Montana says, you ain't enough for me. That was trash. It was funny, but it was trash. So yeah, I did want to point that out. But yeah, World of Dance, um, really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to the season. I'll probably talk a little bit about World of Dance and what's going on throughout the season because I do plan to be watching it. Also, So You Think You Can Dance which I think I mentioned when it starts airing, I'm going to watch that too, because the episode aired tonight, season premiere of So You Think You Can Dance, season 15. How has it already been 15 seasons? I remember when I first started watching it during season three and I was like 12. Um, That aired tonight. So got to catch up on that too. So this is an exciting time for the podcast and for me because summer is dance show season. So looking forward to it. Um, But The other thing I wanted to get to was um, something I posted on my blog. So last week, Friday, I think I posted my, I finally got around to posting my reaction to This Is America, Donald Glover, AKA Childish Gambino's most recent video. I know I'm a little late to the party, but that I kind of knew that was gonna happen because one, I knew I would need to watch the video more than once. And once I realized how hard it was for me to get through the video, I knew I was going to need to take some time and take breaks between watches. And two, I wanted to make sure that I really had time to process and glean everything I could out of the video. And I still don't think I got everything, but here goes nothing. So when I first saw the video, first of all, I, and I probably exactly who he was referring to when he was talking about kind of the distractions and how the viralness of our society can be a distraction because I definitely first only saw his dancing. I didn't even see what was behind him until somebody posted the video and then posted in the caption to look at what was happening behind him. Um, and when I saw what was happening behind him, I also immediately thought, again, this is about how viral videos and, and things like that can be a distraction against what's going on in the world. But I feel like that's a very short-sighted way to look at this video. And I think what it's more of an example of is in addition to those distractions, it's just an example of the different ways that you can embody or you can interpret Black bodies and Black movement and Black embodiment of different things in the wake of everything that's going on. So it's one part distraction when looked at through that gaze. It's one part revolution and protest when looked at against the backdrop of a society that is setting us up to fail and really is not here for us. You know, a system cannot defend those it was not built to protect. And then one part, almost like an act of desperation or an act of futility or a lesson in futility where even when we're at our most free and our most joyful and our presumably most non-threatening because we're not angry, we're not combative, we're not fighting anything, we're still perceived as a threat and we're still not safe from death. And I said all of these things in my blog. Um, and one thing I did want to talk about on the podcast today was that I actually danced to this song. 
I took a contemporary class a few weeks ago and this was the song that the teacher picked for the combination. And I, because I've been dancing so long, I think it takes a lot for me to really be jarred by music or by movement or anything. But I was so jarred by the idea of having to dance to this song. First of all, if you just listen to the song in and of itself, the song is very just jolting. And as soon as you hear that machine gun fire, and you hear this joyful music at first and then this machine gun fire and it gets really dark and he's just talking about America and the state of America and how things work. So I was just much more anxious than I normally am going into a combo because this was just class. This wasn't an audition. This wasn't a rehearsal. This was just class. And class hasn't made me anxious in a very long time. And so it was very technical movement. It was very, it, it matched the song. There was a lot of throwing yourself around sudden, like one minute you'd be in an arabesque, the next minute you're dropping. The next minute you're kind of pivoting towards the floor. The next minute you're doing a cartwheel and spiraling your legs over your head. It, it was so much. And because I knew the, how heavy this song was and about the weight of this song, I, a part of me was putting pressure on myself to kind of embody the song properly. And again, even though it was just class and that was rough and it was scary and it was, I, I've never, I can't really even totally articulate how I felt because it was just like, by that point I watched the video a couple of times also. So that was kind of informing my movement decisions. I wasn't sure if I should be angry. I wasn't sure if I should be fearful. I wasn't sure if I should just be stoic, but hitting everything super hard. And I wish I'd had a video of this movement that I could put in the show notes, but unfortunately I don't. But it, it was just, it took a lot out of me. And then I proceeded to take a gram class next. So you see my life choices are great, but I, I know more, teachers are going to set work to this piece. And like part of me hopes that I get another chance to do movement to this song. But part of me is worried that it will continue to stress me out. I think that part of the reason why I put so much pressure on myself to accurately embody the music when I was tasked with dancing to This Is America is because I'm a Black woman. And I always feel like I should dance black experiences or music that is made by black people harder. And I don't know if that's a fair amount of pressure to put on myself or if that's even like necessary or if that's even accurate. But I, I just constantly feel, not just with this song, but with other songs too that are about the black experience or that are performed or written by black artists that I need to have a certain amount of soul and a certain amount of energy to like almost have the right to dance to this music. And that definitely came about in this song. Um, and again, I probably just overthought it, but just the, the fact that that song could get me there and the fact that that video could get me to a place where I actually like, I'm very non nonchalant and desensitized by what I see on TV. It takes a lot for me to just need to like, step away from something and the video wasn't even that like intense like it was jarring and it shook you but like if you really break down what happens in there it's not it's no more intense than like your average action film but the loadedness of it and what it means for me as a black woman and me as a millennial who 
is who consumes media and who's watched these viral dances and who's done and learned some of them, it, it just felt so much more personal. And it, it was really, really exhausting to watch that video and to watch that dancing and to piece together so many different things. And what, what was really interesting to me was reading about the choreographer, Sherry Silver, and she's Rwandan. And so seeing her dancing in Africa and Rwanda and seeing her and her dancing in her videos that, that aren't um, This Is America, her dancing in her videos is very joyful. It's very exuberant, but it's juxtaposed. And I mentioned this in the blog too, against some of the worst poverty you'll ever see, but the joy never leaves her. And I think that's kind of the same thing that happened in This Is America, but instead of it being just joyful in spite of, it's joyful on top of. It's a different kind of expression of joy. And I think what's so scary about This Is America is that you're not always sure if the joy is genuine or not. And you're not, and sometimes it feels really hollow and almost clown-like. Um, so, yeah. And so that's another thing that I'm kind of pondering on. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you've danced to this song already, or if you've seen any dancing, or if you were if you were to dance to this song, what would you feel? Um, but yeah, that's this week's episode. Short and sweet, not a lot going on. Hopefully I'll have more to say in the coming weeks. And our reverence for this week is just one to be super mindful of your classes and your schedule and your load and make sure you're taking time to kind of take care of yourself and practice self-care as you're dancing, as you're being physical, as you're working and creating. And also to watch a video. It doesn't necessarily have to be This Is America, although that's a good one to start with. And just see all of the things you can get from the movement by just watching it. And watch it as many times as you want or need to. But yeah, that's the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, much love and keep on dancing. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dancetopia, the podcast. Be sure to check out the blog, www.dancetopia.blog. That's dancetopia.blog. You can also like the blog on Facebook, facebook.com slash dancetopia blog, or follow the blog on Twitter and Instagram at dancetopia blog. Thanks for listening.